Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. He also said that every generation needs a revolution, Jimmy. The American dream is just that. Just a dream. War is a continuation of politics. Only by other means. Politics is a continuation of economics by other means. This is our bank. This is our war. And this is our plan of attack. Banks have become an essential threat to our democracy. So consider this justice. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station on the internet. Please help support this station so this battle can continue forward. Revolution Radio! The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio. And now we return you to your host. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to Stargate to the Cosmos, and I'm your host, Janet Kier Lesson, with my co-host, Dr. Sasha Lesson, and Teresa J. Morris may join us tonight if we can get her system to work. Our producer is uh, Thomas Becker, so Janet Kier Lesson, Dr. Sasha Lesson, maybe Teresa J. Morris, producer Thomas Becker, and our guest is Dr. Michael Sala. And we're always delighted to have Dr. Sala. So on our show today, we're going to concentrate on the Hawaii Emergency False Flag event and focus on what happened and who was responsible. And we'll examine the existence of a CIA dark fleet that launched the missile and a USAF SSP, Secret Space Program, the United States Air Force Secret Space Program, that shot it down. The recent alliance between the USAF and the SSP and the Nordic extraterrestrials has been a big game changer behind the scenes. So there are, are several very important links on AquarianRadio.com to Dr. Sala's um, three major articles around these issues. Uh, the titles are, Was a Space-Based Weapons Platform Used Against Hawaii Inbound Inbound ballistic missile, the secret Navy behind a ballistic missile attack on Hawaii, and was a nuclear missile attack on Hawaii thwarted by a secret space program. So we're going to begin with that. Dr. Lesson, what would you like to say? Um, I'm eagerly awaiting uh, to hear the latest. (laughs) Okay, great. Dr. Sala, welcome to our show. Welcome back. It's so good to have you here. Uh, thanks, uh, Janet and Sasha. Uh, wonderful to be back. Um, 
looking forward to just uh, really getting to the bottom of what's been happening with this uh, missile uh, situation. As as uh, we all know, we live in Hawaii, and uh, so we want to make sure the islands are safe. Oh, yeah, and I am right across from Haleakala. I see them doing their testing. They usually turn on their lights between 4 and um, sunrise, so depending on the time of the year, I, I often uh, get up to go to the bathroom and I see their bright light on and I know what it is. <laughs> so, oh, let's uh, cut to the chase. So what in the world happened? Uh, I was there, my phone went off, uh, there was nowhere to go. We were thinking we had 15 minutes before we die. <laughs> and uh, that was a long time before the game, the all clear. What was happening for you when that alarm went off? Were you at home? In the, in the well, actually, it, it's interesting you say that uh, because I was actually in Australia at the time. Oh. And, and, and my wife, Angelica, was here in uh, on the Big Island. So I was very interested to hear. Um, actually, first I heard of it from Corey Wood and, and kind of like wanted to check in whether or not it was real. And so as I started to... Looking into it more, I, I all of these conflicting messages against about it. It's like people, uh, you know, obviously people got this message saying that uh, there was a, a ballistic missile on the way to a Hawaii and that this is not a drill. And then, of course, uh, 38 minutes later, they get another message on their phone system. Now, you know, it's important to distinguish between, you know, a couple of different reporting mechanisms that they have. You know, one is the kind of like um, typical uh, emergency alert system, which you know goes up on the website if, if there's something that that happens. You know, whether it's a hurricane, whether it's a tidal wave, or a ballistic missile alert. Um, you know, the Hawaiian emergency alert system uh, they have a multiple ways of delivering that message. You know, of course, there's right. the sirens. You know, you get the sirens, you, you get the phone message, you know, the, the electronic alert on your phone or your electronic device. And then there's other things uh, such as, uh, you know, the, the, the website, uh, the, the news station. So there are multiple ways that they deliver these messages. Uh, but the one that really got people in an uproar was that uh, the, the fact that it took them uh, all of, I think it was uh, 38 minutes to basically uh, send another message out on the alert system, which meant that basically if, if you learned about this uh, about this ballistic missile, you know, through your phone getting a message, then you didn't get a follow-up message for a whole 38 minutes. And so during right. that whole time, you know, you're thinking the worst. And, that, and that's what really had people in an uproar, that it took so long to get that... Update. Yeah, well, update some people were that, uh, on the highway going to work, and you know they're not, not going to be act, have access to a television, so they're in the middle of a highway, especially on on Oahu, Honolulu. They would jump. They were jumping out of their cars and just leaving their cars there, and you know running to, to get to shelter or to get to their family, and um, it was very terrifying. For me, it was very surreal. It's like, okay, what's what's it going to feel like when it hits? Am I gonna? Is it going to be painful? Will I be out of my body instantly? Uh, will I be one of the survivors that dies of, of 
radiation poisoning. It was just very surreal because there's really nowhere to run. I mean, people say, go get into your bathtub or something, but then you'll be in there and starve to death because, you know, you'll be in there for weeks before there's an all clear. And how are you going to get the all clear unless you've got some kind of radio system? And anyway, none of us were prepared for that, that I know of. We just said, well, if I'm going to die, at least I'll grab my husband and my kitty and I'll just hold them until I, you know, pass. (laughs) That's about all you could do. Right, and of course the Hawaiian Islands are, I mean, just the way we're situated, you know, right in the middle of the Pacific, and and we have the kind of trade winds blowing in an easterly direction, which means that, you know, if um, the, you know, that that missile, you know, the the obvious ground zero was probably Honolulu, because that's really where, uh, you know, Pacific Command is concentrated and and the, the brunt of the American military is there. Uh, another possibility was Kauai, but uh, but that would that would have meant that those of us living on the Big Island or Maui, you know, we wouldn't have been affected directly from the from the attack, um, and uh, the trade winds would have blown the radioactive clouds kind of in a westerly direction. So we wouldn't have been affected from that, but it would have meant that basically half of the island chain, which is Honolulu, Kauai. Um, Oahu, you know, these would have been cut off, um, you know, uh-huh, so obviously right. it would have affected all of us, you know, throughout the islands, you know, though, and, and that's the thing with a nuclear attack, you know, like the nuclear attacks against Nagasaki and Hiroshima during the Second World War. I think each attack, you know, took out like 100,000 people um, or, you know, somewhere in that vicinity, you know, which is a lot of people to die immediately. Uh, but then, of course, you, you have the the spillover. You have uh, the after effects. You, you have the radiation. Uh, you have the, uh, the the poisoning of the food supply, the water supply, and and a lot more deaths from that. And then you have the kind of uh, poisonous radioactive um, clouds and fallout, and, you know, which go down, uh, which flow according to the wind. So, you know, this would have been something that would have changed all our lives. But of course, thankfully. Um, you know, uh, we're told that it was a false alarm, and so most most people in the islands, I think, would have just you know taken a belief uh, that oh, it was just someone pushing the. You're you're breaking up. I'm not sure what we can do to improve the the communication. Okay. Um, all right. Well, the. Uh, that this will this will help. I uh, just won't move around. Um, oh, good, so, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I was saying was that uh, in the days immediately after uh, the false flag, and more and more whistleblowers started to emerge, and more witnesses started to emerge, all basically saying that hey, no, this this wasn't a false alert. Actually, it was a, a real attack. And that a missile had been launched, and that the missile had been taken out, and that it was uh, the intent was a false flag attack to to simulate a North Korean attack against Hawaii, and that would have obviously triggered a retaliation by the United States, which would have then led to a nuclear war in North Korea. And that could have easily escalated into a major major regional 
war. And so, um, and so it was only after uh, the the false alert was issued and most people began to you know, relax that the alternative media was was giving us another story, a very different story. So right now in the Hawaiian Islands, you, you have uh, you know a big division between those that just buy into the official media narrative that this was a false alert uh, caused by a trigger happy employee who has been sacked, um, and those mm -hmm. that are following the alternative media. Uh, reports, including my own exopolitics.org, saying that hey, there's a lot of evidence here that you know that this actually was intended to be a false flag attack. That it was a it was a failed false flag attack, and that someone shot down the missiles. So that you know that raises all sorts of questions, like you know who, why, where, when type questions. So maybe we can walk through those questions. Yeah. So there's a couple different theories. Uh, directions and you've been following them through and uh, coming up with some conclusions. So there was one about the a sub that was something left over from World War II. Anyway, could you give us the the theories of the who, what, when, where, how, and why that you've uh, tracked sure. down? Sure. Okay. Well, the key uh, thing to keep in mind is that this was a uh, an attempted false flag attack. And I'm sure many of right. your listeners are aware of that, uh, you know, what that means. But, but essentially, it, you know, for the false flag attack to succeed, um, Pacific Command in Hawaii would have had to have been convinced or, you know, they would have looked at the attack and would have kind of come out of it saying that, okay, this was a ballistic missile launched from North Korea. Um, and so, so for this attack uh, to succeed... Uh, you really needed uh, capabilities to simulate a North Korean ballistic missile attack. Now, at the moment, the only way North Korea can launch a ballistic nuclear missile is, you know, they have their ground-based ballistic missile launchers there in North Korea. So you would have basically needed um, a ballistic missile launching submarine off the coast of North Korea that could have... Uh, simulated this kind of false flag attack. And so that immediately gives us important clues, you know, that that one, it would have been um, uh, an entity with uh, submarines that could basically launch uh, a ballistic missile uh, that could travel the thousands of miles from, you know, just off North Korean waters to Hawaii. Um, and, and you would have... Question: uh, Couldn't they have been closer in anywhere out there in the Pacific, and it would be coming from that direction, but maybe not as far as uh, North Korea? Well, certainly they, they could have launched a a, a missile, a north a, a ballistic missile from much closer. But the thing is, a, a ballistic right. missile fo follows a, a certain trajectory, and so if you uh -huh. wanted to simulate a North Korean attack. You, you you would have had to have launched pretty close to North Korea, you know, in the Sea of Japan. So the submarine that was responsible for this was actually uh, off the um, coast of North Korea in the Sea of Japan. And that would have been the only way that you could have had a submarine launch a false flag ballistic missile that... At, you know, when it, when it hit Hawaii and caused all the damage, 
that those tracking the radar, um, tracking um, surveillance data, uh, basically said, oh, this, this missile came from North Korea, and so we know who did it, and so let's retaliate. So them to have a missile. Wait, wait, we're, it's, all, it's, it's coming in and out again. Yeah, you're cutting in and out again. I don't know if you're moving around again or what. It goes in and out. And I'm not sure what's going on. So who's on. got some? You could do it. Who's got submarines capable of doing that from that distance? Well, that's that's really the, the critical point here, Sasha. Is uh, to be able to launch a ballistic missile, you need to have what is called a boomer submarine, um, and and these are submarines that can basically launch a, a a vertical missile, basically from the top. So you have hatches at the top of the submarine, and these uh, ballistic missiles launch perpendicular to the submarine, straight up into the sky. And the only countries that have those uh, ballistic missiles are major countries like the uh, uh, United States, Russia, Britain, France, China, and most recently, India. They're the only countries that at the moment have the capability to launch uh, a ballistic nuclear missile. Um, and so you need to have big submarines to do that. Um, now, there are other submarines that can launch cruise missiles from the front of the submarine, kind of like similar to how a torpedo is launched. And these, um, right. and these, uh, these cruise launch missiles, uh, certainly they can deliver uh, a nuclear weapon and countries like Israel do have that capability. Uh, they uh, recently purchased uh, Dolphin-class submarines from Germany. And many people uh, began speculating that uh, the, the obvious culprit would have been uh, Israel, because people say, well, Israel was behind the false flag attack in terms of the Liberty, uh, the USS Liberty, that was a ship in, the 90, in 1967 that was attacked by um, you know, what, what appeared to be uh, Egyptian uh, aircraft, but in fact these were Israeli aircraft trying to shoot it down. People thought that, well, Israel was behind this, but the problem there is that Israel, Israel's fleet of dolphin submarines, I think they have five of them, uh, do not have the capacity to launch ballistic missiles. They, they can launch cruise missiles, but not ballistic. And so that means that Put simply, that Israel does not have the capability to simulate a ballistic missile attack from North Korea on Hawaii. So you're saying that they would have to track the trajectory, but nobody's admitting there is a missile. So if somebody was tracking it, uh, in our in our U.S. military tracking this to launch this uh, alarm, they're not uh, fessing up. So they're already suppressing it. They're not letting us know the truth. Um, definitely. Um, this is one of the things that the whistleblowers um, have been saying. Um, um, each one has a slightly different take on it. But basically, um, and I've examined those in um, several of the articles, the, the first two articles uh, on the exopolitics.org website go into the different mm -hmm. whistleblowers that have basically come forward to talk about this and you know many of them are anonymous um, but they're saying that this was a real missile and it was taken down 
it was uh, shut down uh, and, and people aren't sure, well, was it shut down by uh, a space program? Was it shut down by a missile intercept program like the, like the Navy's uh, Aegis um, missile defense system? Or was it shut down by uh, extraterrestrials? So people are asking right. these questions. So in, the, so in the last article I did, uh, I, I referred to something that I thought was really very interesting, which was that um, on, on January 31st, on, actually January 30, um, the Navy basically conducted a test against um, a, a ballistic missile. The test was intended to shoot down the ballistic missile and it failed. So the Navy basically made, you know, released to the public that they had attempted to intercept a, a ballistic missile or part of a military test um, and that they had failed to shoot it down. So I thought that was very significant because I, th I think this was the Navy's way of making it clear to the public that, hey, we didn't shoot down that ballistic missile, you know, only three weeks earlier because, you know, we're still developing our system and it's not reliable. And that was their, their mm. second failure in, in a row. Uh, so the Navy, I think, was really kind of like signaling that someone was responsible for shooting down that missile. So that, you know, who, who else could it have been? Well, then that, that brings us to two obvious candidates. One is an Air Force secret space program, which was uh -huh. which has a global surveillance system, or extraterrestrials. Right. Well, that night, I was very upset about the whole thing. Uh, launched into PTSD and just so uh, running on high adrenaline all day. Even though logically it was like, yeah, yeah, it didn't work, whatever. Uh, that night, I had a, a download. I'm a, I'm a uh, ET contact since the the crib and I get lots of downloads and my download said, and I'll just say it, uh, that it was, it was the U S launching the, the missile. They don't really care about Hawaii that much because it's a, a blue state. And, uh, that was going to be used to launch world war three, but the extraterrestrials that were communicating with me said, we shot it down. Now I have no way to prove that, but I just, you know, I get a lot of information that pans out, and there's a certain vibratory frequency. Um, the hair goes back up in my neck, that type of thing. And um, so was that, did anybody else come forth with that agenda that maybe it was, you know, just like 911 in, in New York, one of the possibilities was it was our own uh, people that did it. And, you know, uh, I have some evidence there that it was definitely an inside job, just like Jim Mars says. So this would have been an inside job, just like uh, the Twin Towers. Did anybody else come forth with that uh, uh, sure, hypothesis? Sure. Yes, actually, that was uh, Corey Good um, said that was what his sources were telling him, that he identified wow. a, a CIA-created Navy uh, that was behind the missile attack, um, and and that this is essentially a, a separate navy that's run by the CIA, which has its own submarines, which has its own aircraft, which has which has its own aircraft carrier. So basically, mm -hmm. there is a uh, an aircraft carrier battle group out there um, roaming the world, um, and that it's controlled by the CIA, and the CIA uses it for all sorts of covert operations. 
Yeah, this is one of the things that is part of the, the history of the CIA. Um, there are a number of articles, sorry, a, a number of um, sources and documents that, that substantiate that at different points, uh, the CIA uh, took the steps to train um, its own people to be able to fly spy planes off of aircraft carriers and that and that the Navy was not happy with the CIA using uh, Navy aircraft carriers. So thereby you, you had the, uh, the CIA creating the operational context for it being given its own aircraft carrier. Um, and the same, same thing with uh, ballistic uh, missile carrying submarines. So there are documents that substantiate what Corey Good told me, because Corey, uh, he got his sources behind. And, and I have to say, I, I know some of Corey's sources. I, I, I have met them. Um, we're talking about his uh, sources um, that he refers to as the Earth Alliance, and um, and these yeah. are uh, these are these are credible, very credible people uh, that have vetted Corey, and basically they believe he is he is one hundred percent legitimate. So you know they're just corroborating what I've felt or researched uh, since uh, early 2005, that, that Corey's information is very, very credible and, and really needs to be uh, considered very seriously. So, so his, his, his information that this was a CIA uh, action wanting to create a third world war or at the very least mm -hmm. a major regional war in North Korea, I, I think, is is very close to the mark. That I, I do believe that this is what was going on. And as for who shut it down, well, that's a that's a separate question. But I'm I'm happy to follow up on this whole CIA. Uh, you know, he calls it the dark fleet uh, that roams around dark doing fleet. all these covert operations. It would have been possible for them to launch it from space, like a, you know, and then from space launched it and then another one took it out well you know that was what uh cobra said uh he said that this was a space-based weapon that was launched against the hawaii and that it was intercepted well you know um certainly uh you, you know anything is possible here but the thing is if the goal was to simulate a north korean ballistic missile attack on hawaii you, there's no point in having a space-based weapon because North Korea doesn't have space-based weapon systems. The only countries that have space-based weapons at the moment of, of any of, of any significance are Russia, the United States, and China. And there's no way in the world to attack the United States. So, so you're saying that once it, once would have landed, uh, you're saying that once it would have hit, say it would have hit, then the U.S. would have slowed down enough to determine where it came from before they, they hit the return button, and, you know, fired back? Well, or would somebody well, well, just be hot on the, the button and just launch because uh, they want to start World War III with, and so they wouldn't even bother about where it came from, just that it happened on U.S. soil. Right. Um, well, one of these uh, sources I quote in the last article uh, was a space-based uh -huh. weapon system. One of the sources I cite in there uh, was working at Hickam Air Force Base uh, during the alert. And, and he describes okay. uh, basically that, that they were tracking the missile, that the missile was tracked and, and that um, it, was, it was basically 
shot down, but that a request was put into the White House to retaliate against North Korea, that um, that people had tracked this missile and had determined its origin. It's not very hard to track a ballistic missile because there's all sorts of um, kind of space surveillance systems out there. And of course, you have the one in Maui, the Maui space surveillance system right. that can track. That's 24-7 tracking all sorts of objects. So, it, you know, there's no great difficulty in tracking ballistic missiles. Uh, the difficulty comes in shooting them down. You know, that's that's where you need to have, right. uh, you know, uh, something more sophisticated than these kind of anti-missile missile systems that the Navy's developing through the Aegis system or that the, or, or that the Army is developing. Um, and, and so basically it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been hard for them to track the missile. And according to this uh, whistleblower from Hickam, Hickam Air Force Base, a request had been put into the White House to retaliate. And, and when, the, when the White House uh, refused to retaliate, then the call went out to, uh, to describe it as a false alert. That oh. even though the missile, even though the missile oh. had been shot down, people, people still wanted the United States to retaliate. Uh, they still wanted the White House to retaliate, but Trump said no. no we, we, you know, I think Rump, uh, Trump smelled a rat here and he just kind of held off. And it was only after the White House refused to retaliate against North Korea because the missile had been shot down no danger anymore, but still they wanted, they wanted to retaliate. Uh, the White House said no. Then they put out the false alarm. Okay. We wonder why there was such a long delay. Because to me it was obvious something was, some story was being fabricated or some, if something's happened in between the, the um, you know, the, the oh, phone's going off and the, the retraction. What were you going to say, Sasha? You had a question or a comment? Sasha? No, no, it's it's answered. Uh, you know, is uh, that's very interesting that you that uh, Trump would have said no when uh, you know a lot of people say he's just been looking for his opportunity to take uh, North Korea down before it gets even more dangerous, and so that's a very surprising response from uh, from uh, from the president. Uh, so this is a source at the Hickam. Air Force base. Uh, well, said that, what I right? want to know is what happened. What, what the discussion was in the cabinet room when he got the message that we've been attacked, even though we stopped it. Uh, this is our chance. Hit him, boss. What happened? Who who advised him? What did they say? What was going on? Well, well, this is uh, really uh, that is a key question, you know, uh, because I think maybe there was an assumption that Trump would retaliate, um, but. Uh, you know, according to the Hickam Air Force Base source, um, he basically said that uh, there were people there that that w that were counting on Trump uh, retaliating. Um, maybe I, maybe I should read it. Um, there, there's a, the Hickam Air Force Base yeah. source. Yeah. Do you want me to yeah, read? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh -huh, sure. Okay. Okay. So so this is what he said. Quote: Hickam Air Force Base fusion analyst here. The false alert was not a mistake. It was ordered. We were informed it was to be a drill, but then all information was put out. The threat was real. Immediate contact was made to the White House and requests were made for retaliation. I think there was a push to have the White House approve an attack on foreign vessels off the coast. 
when the White House replied negative and the de and demanded further information, my superiors called Governor David Ige, where he ordered us to to contact media uh, outlets out of there being a false alarm. One of the governor aides was present and speaking with who looked to be a federal investigator. I overheard them state that this quote demonstrated weakness in the Trump administration and a refusal to protect his people. End quote. Um, so, so right there, you know, this Hickam Air Force Base um, analyst uh, working at one of the fusion centers there, uh, where you basically have uh, government agencies uh, fused in one center to basically facilitate command and control. Um, it was very clear that this that this was a this was a drill. They were told it was a drill. Then it turned out to be real. Um, that the White House was told that uh, Hawaii had been attacked and there was an expectation that Trump would retaliate and he didn't retaliate and people were disappointed that he didn't retaliate but that uh, the, the governor, Aig, uh, basically then requested that a false alarm be put out. And so that explains the, the long delay, why you had, right. yeah, uh, after a few minutes, uh, you had the the governor and the police and so forth putting out that you know the ballistic missile uh, that there was no threat any longer uh, because it had been shot down. But you know the extra time was needed because uh, they were trying to decide whether to go ahead and and retaliate. Um, and and if they if they had ordered the retaliation, then they wouldn't have said that this was a false alarm. They would have said the major news would have carried the story. Hawaii attacked by North Korea, U.S. declares war or something like that. Yes. Um, and, and so, you know, we would be living a very different moment. Right now, yes. So the, yeah. so the Navy, where was this uh, test that they did on January 30th? Was that here in Hawaii or another part of the world? Uh, that particular test was here in Hawaii. Um, I believe it was just off the coast of Kauai. Um, and okay. they were basically um, trying to test, you know, this thing. But um, but but the Navy was had announced that um, it had failed, and and I think that the Navy was sending a clear signal that, you know, someone else had shot down this missile. It wasn't the Navy, and so that brings us back to well, yeah. you know, was it the air was it the Air Force secret space program, or was it extraterrestrials? Yeah. And um, and you know, according to information that I've been getting, um, it was uh, the Air Force Secret Space Program probably working in uh, collaboration with a group of Nordic extraterrestrials because this has been one of the big uh, developments over the last year is that uh, the US Air Force has suddenly discovered Nordic extraterrestrials uh, or human-looking extraterrestrials. And, and, I'm, and I'm saying that facetiously uh, because uh -huh. they've been around a long time, but the Air Force right. have only ever worked with the reptilians and the greys. But now they, the Air Force has realised that the reptilians and the greys were basically deceiving them, that the German space program out of Antarctica and in South America was not sharing uh, the kind of technologies that the Air Force wanted. And so the Air Force has decided that now it's going to start working with the uh, Nordic extraterrestrials, um, and this is how they hope to basically get a lot more 
uh, newer technology, uh, bigger space uh, craft, kind of like the Navy's secret space program. So there's an inter-services rivalry here that the Air Force has realized that the U.S. Navy has its own space program that's deployed in deep space with space battle groups and so forth, um, and, and that well, the I Air Force wants that. I have a whistleblower here who actually is uh, T.J. Morris has been in the secret space program. Uh, we've talked about it a great length. And, uh, she hasn't really come out on a broad scale, but we brought her out. And we're going to try to get her on at the break. Uh, I was trying to get her on her Skype, but it wasn't working. But uh, she has discussed the uh, system in space, and they can see everything. They know instantly when anything is launched anywhere. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll try to bring her in on the break, and she will tell you what she knows about. She was in the, the military, and her husband was in the military, and they were um, uh, stationed in the, around the Mars base, but in space. There's a, craft, there's a series of five craft. Um, there are about a million personnel each craft, and so we'll have her come on and tell what she knows. I, I felt bad that we couldn't get her on, but her Skype wasn't working. Um, so we'll try her on the phone, but go ahead and continue. I'm going to text her and, uh, see if she's ready. What, what, motivated the, what, what motivated the executive to refuse to bomb? To, what made him say yeah. no? Uh, I think, uh, Trump, uh, basically said no, because, uh, he really is uh, very aware of how dangerous it would be to launch a missile strike against North Korea, um, that this could easily escalate into a regional war um, and into a third world war because uh, China would step in and I don't think China uh, would allow the United States to take over North Korea. Um, uh, and so China would, would not have allowed that to happen. So that could have easily have led to a, a, a regional war. And I, I think Trump realized that the chances of this escalating uh, were very great. And I think he's being advised by a lot of very senior military people. Um, I mean, his Secretary of Defense is a four-star Marine. His uh, his uh, his uh, uh, Chief of Staff is a four-star Marine. Um, his National Security Advisor is a three-star. Uh, army general, so you know, basically he's he's surrounded by military people, and and they advise him, and they basically told him to hold off, get more information, which you know, which truly is the sensible thing to do, rather than being pushed into a retaliation when you don't know who's behind it, and so I think he was advised correctly, and he did the right thing, and so now it's become clear that you know, this was an attempted false flag attack and that the real culprit behind it was uh, this CIA faction or, or the dark fleet that he has deployed out there. Uh, you know, but, but I think there are, uh, you know, I think this is also a very important event because it shows that our, our kind of global system has reached the point where I feel that uh, we can, can now deal with these kinds of global emergencies, you know, attempted false flag attacks uh, orchestrated by this, uh, by these rogue factions, whether it's a CIA faction with a dark fleet, 
you know, roaming, roaming the oceans, or whether it's um, a kind of a German Nazi breakaway uh, faction in Antarctica or in South America, or whether it's the Cabal, the Illuminati. You know, the, the people behind these false flag attacks, they're always a small minority. They're only a small minority in any institution. So they can only pull these things off through stealth and trickery um, and, and by people not being on guard. But now what we have is um, all around the world, uh, militaries are, are, are cooperating much more than they ever have to not precipitate any crisis that might be a result of a third of, of a third party trying to, you know, through a false flag attack, trying, trying to bring about a major regional war. And I think what we see with Hawaii is an example of this, that, uh, that the U.S. Um, acted very carefully in, in, in terms of first trying to identify who was behind the attack. And then once they worked it out, um, realizing that it was a CIA faction, um, that they couldn't publicly declare that, you know, that the U.S., that Hawaii was attacked by the CIA. So they had to put out the information that it was a, that it was a false alarm. Uh, but behind the scenes, they're dealing with the CIA um, for doing this or, the, or, or that rogue faction of the CIA because a lot of the people in the CIA uh, are, are, are kind of like doing... Uh, rank and file, you know, they're very responsible. The rank and file typically are uh, just doing, you know, what they're supposed to be doing in terms of protecting right. your national interest. Yeah, but, but it's these covert groups that are the problem. There's still a chain of investigation from the person who uh, didn't uh, uh, have this public uh, talk with two other people that are witnessing him. And, st uh, and there's complicity somehow at least in this uh, falsifying of what the message was and shushing it and uh, there's some kind of inside thing happening in the people that were supposed to give the warning or not give the warning uh, that really needs to be investigated publicly that's what it sounds like to me well, well that's right yes um, um, the state of Hawaii did do an official investigation and in that official investigation they basically uh, put all the blame on, on one, one particular person and a poorly designed reporting process and a lot of confusion. So, um, and, and, they're, and they're trying to get the public to buy into this idea that it was just really one person who, who didn't hear right. uh, that this was just an exercise, that you know, all the person heard was that, uh, this, the, that this is not a drill, but in fact... You know, the message began, you know, exercise, 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 and ended with the same three words. And But in the middle of that, it said it's not a drill. Well, you know, right there you have confusion. Right. And, and that they're trying to say that this is what, what caused it. But but I think what it is is that this is a cover-up, uh, that, mm -hmm. that they want um, people to believe that, uh, that this was just a false alarm when, in fact, it was a, an attempted false flag attack and that you know, if the if the public is informed of the truth, then we can make great inroads in basically taking down these um, kind of rogue entities operating around the world without any oversight. Have you have you gotten any reports about the rogue entity that uh, launched the missile? Have they been taken out, or are they still lurking to do it again? Uh, well, 
I mean, the really interesting thing was that um, only two days after the missile attack on Hawaii, uh, there was another false alarm for Japan. And in this, in, right. in that case, it was Tokyo. And the major public broadcaster in Tokyo, that's the government-run television station, basically ran an alert. And so you had the same thing happening in Japan. People believed for uh, a certain amount of time, I don't know how long it was, probably you know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, somewhere in that range, they believed that uh, Japan was was going to be nuke, uh, attacked uh, by North Korea. So you know, what that indicated to me was that the, the submarine that had been responsible for the Hawaii attack uh, lurked around in those waters off the Sea of Japan, and then did the same thing against Japan, um, and and then the and that very likely you had the same outcome of the missile being shot down. Uh, now, wow. you know, because we're talking about you know a ballistic missile capable submarines that operate. For covert programs, so these are very difficult to track, and and the CIA doesn't want anyone tracking them, um, and and so right. but now because of this false flag attack, now the military, um, I imagine that they are now going to be doing what they need to do to kind of neutralize or to, you know to basically uh, prevent the CIA from ever being able to do this again. You know, taking away their assets or just or destroying some of the assets like these ballistic missiles or these ballistic uh, submarines that the uh, CIA uh, used for this false flag attack. About a month before, they installed a new um, air, air system here, air alert system, which has a different um, sound to it. It's, it sounds terrifying. It's just like what you heard in World War II, right? It's different than our, you know, we're going to get a tsunami. <laughs> we're not afraid of tsunamis here, but boy. That it was terrifying, and they did a test, I think it was just a month before, so this is all kind of coincidental, quote-unquote, right? They just tested the new one, and, and Maui just said, please, we don't want you to test that again. And, you know, you did it once, but don't test that again, because it's just uh, waking up, you know, these nightmares from too many people. So they didn't uh, put that alarm. We know it works, we heard it, but they didn't blast that alarm. So that was another thing that was weird. If it really was a incoming missile, why didn't they use the island-wide uh, alarm system that they just tested about a month before? Right. I, I think that kind of addresses this question of, well, um, you know, they intercepted and took down the missile pretty quickly, um, only a few minutes later, uh, after the alert went out, you know, that uh, I think it was just a, a few minutes that Pacific Command was already starting to let people know that you know, that there was no incoming missile. Um, so I think from that, we can assume that um, the missile had been destroyed, but it took them another 30 minutes to work out whether or not there was going to be a retaliation, whether there was going to be any official announcement that, you know, this was a, uh, a cause for war against North Korea. And, and when that didn't happen, then they decided to go with, uh, you know, this kind of fake missile alert. So that may be why it didn't uh, go ahead with that drill. But uh, I heard from people that the sirens were going off in uh, Oahu, uh, that uh, that the military facility at Pearl Harbor, for example, that the sirens were blaring, 
So uh, people at Pearl Harbor, you know, did believe that this was the real, real deal. Uh, things were, were happening. Right. But, you know. You know. Well, maybe one way to get some kind of handle on uh, the uh, the CIA is to make the uh, funding uh, more public and not have uh, them off the uh, books where they're not. And that's the way you control them. And they're a secret fleet as you control the money. You need to know where the, our money's going. Right. Yes. Um, you know, this is that's one way. But the thing is that the CIA has been in establishing, creating, using all sorts means of um, revenue, the drug trade, kind of pump and dump uh, economics on Wall Street. Um, kind of white collar crime, invest, uh, hold all of these uh, things that the CIA has been doing for decades now, raising enormous amounts of money to fl to fund these black programs, um, and and then you have the the covert operations, um, you know, where you basically have plausible uh, deniability, where you know the right hand can you know can genuinely say, uh, well, you know, I, I don't know what the left hand is doing, um, and that's right. been part of you know, the way the covert operation system has been set up, you know, ever since Eisenhower. You know, the security system is set up in a way where, you know, they do want covert operations to be able to go forward. So it just means that uh, how, do, how do you bring a, uh, an institution like the CIA, which has its own separate funding, its own dark fleet, its own worldwide assets, how do you kind of like bring that to heal? Um, it's it's a tough one. You know, the thing was, uh, Fletcher Prouty, he wrote a book called The Secret Team. And, and interestingly enough, he said that uh, President Kennedy faced the same dilemma. And what Kennedy did was he decided to basically put all the covert programs, um, publish the, uh, I think it was the, uh, uh, the Operations Coordination Board, uh, this was a kind of interagency board that was responsible for covert operations uh, right up until the Kennedy administration, and he abolished that. And he decided to put all covert operations under the control of the military. And, and that sounds to me the way it should go, that you should have something like Special Operations Command, which is based at MacDill Air Force Base in Tampa, Florida, that the people in charge of Special Operations Command, that they are the ones that basically uh, provide oversight of everything that the CIA is doing. And that was Kennedy's solution. Of course, he was assassinated because he was taking on the CIA and the, uh, the, the secret control groups. But I think that's so what Trump was, should do. He, was this the, the Defense Information Agency that was supposed to bypass the Dulles's? Uh, there, there was um, a number of a number of things that Kennedy did to basically circumvent the power of the CIA. You know, you know, eliminating this. Uh, I believe it was called the Operations Coordinating Board, or something, or something like that. But he eliminated that board, which was responsible for covert operations, and it was in the National mm -hmm. Security uh, Council system. He abolished that board and basically gave the powers that that board previously had, handed them over to the Pentagon. And I think that's what we are going to be seeing here oh. under Trump. 
that because of this event, that the Pentagon is now going to get uh, oversight of this, you know, dark fleet. So, you know, like I think you think of it logically in terms of, well, you know, how, how does the Pentagon respond to this CIA dark fleet that launched this false flag attack against Hawaii? You know, do you destroy it? Well, you know, there's a lot of people on that on that fleet that were probably told, oh, this is just a drill. Um, and, and the people on the submarine, probably a, a lot of them would have been former Navy personnel that are now working for the CIA, and they would have been told, oh, you know, this is a drill, launch launch this ballistic missile at Hawaii, it's just a dud, no no problem, it's just a test. So they probably did. So I think the military would realise that, uh, well, you know, there's no, no great advantage in shooting out, in, in destroying the, 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 the submarine or destroying the aircraft carrier group that is run by the CIA. What we want to do is is basically control it, bring it under the control of Special Operations Command out of Tampa. Um, and so this is where, you know, what, what's been happening over the last 12 months at Special Operations Command in Tampa is important because this is where, you know, we, we get into the question of, well, um, you know, the US is cooperating with these human-looking Nordics and, and the, uh, the, the Nordics have been making themselves seen around Special Operations Command at Tampa. Wow. So the, these Nordics so, aren't the, uh, the tall whites that they have at like Creech Airport or Air Force Base or the, you know, the Anunnaki. You're saying it's a separate species or is it, are they related somehow? It's a, a, a totally separate group. I mean, the tall whites out at Nellis Air Force Base uh, you know, yeah. they are grey uh, German agenda. Uh, they are part of that. And they they are one of the groups that has been keeping the Air Force in dark. Kind of like, and you even see this, if, if you read um, uh, the uh, Millennium Hospitality by Charles Hall, he actually describes this, how, how the tall whites Air Force um, the capacity for interstellar travel, they only gave the capacity for short interplanetary trips, you know, to the moon and maybe Mars, but that was it. And they kind of like deliberately with the most advanced technologies from the uh, Air Force secret space program. And so the Air Force people know that this has been going on for a long time. Um, but what's what's happened just recently is because they discovered that the Navy had been working for all these years with this Nordic group of extraterrestrials, and the Nordics had helped the Navy develop um, space battle groups that are capable of interstellar travel, that the Air Force says, well, you know, we don't want to be an effing costard for the planet. You know, we want to have our... We want to have, you know, the good stuff. So we're going to start working with the Nordics. And that's what's happened, uh, that the Air Force right. has now begun working with the Nordics. And, you know, there are a lot of signs of this. And, and that one of, the, one of the things, one of the conditions would have been that the, what would have been that the Nordics would have, uh, I think, cooperated with the Air Force in shooting down this, uh, this ballistic missile. But that was probably a kind of joint operation where the Nordics would have, con you know, let the Air Force people know, Hey, there's something coming your way. You know, pay attention. You you got to shoot this down, and and they did. And I think that this is probably uh, 
the sign of a new era uh, that is entering our planet, which is that the world's major military uh, actors are now working with benevolent extraterrestrials or more ethical extraterrestrials. Uh, that prior prior to, to this year or prior to last year, uh, there had been a big division where you actually had the the Air Force Secret Space Program had been working with the with the dark side, with the CIA, with the um, tall whites, the reptilians, and and the Germans. But now the Air Force guys are on the side of the angels, and and this shooting down of that ballistic missile is the first sign, first tangible sign of the Air Force doing this. We'll be back in five minutes after this commercial break, and we'll learn more about the, how this is organized. See you in five minutes. things were not quite right, that everything was just ever so slightly askew. Do you have, to paraphrase Morpheus, a splinter in your mind? If you're interested in hearing the latest information about UFOs, the paranormal, ancient cultures and structures, monatomic elements, longevity, fantastic discoveries in science, download it to your brain, then tune in to us. Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Mackie. And we are Shiny Side Out, Sundays, 2 to 4 a.m. Eastern. See you then. Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. Join me weekdays for my new show, Tell Chris Joe. It's going to be a problem show brought to you live from Kensington. Thursdays, I'm dealing with hot topics, heated debate, what's new around the world, and ring-ins to discuss listeners' problems and offering considered and heartfelt solutions. So join me, Chris Hart, for Tell Chris Joe. Stop what you're doing, grab a cup of tea, and coming live from Kensington. Relax, let me entertain you with a coffee bar online. Listeners' very personal problems. So that's Thursdays, 2 p.m. in the afternoon, Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. See you there. It's going to be lots of fun. Is your data safe? Do you have the necessary information to assist you in confidently living through just about any survival situation? Is survival and gardening, off-grid living, medical knowledge, or even natural or man-made EMPs on your list of personal concerns? Do you have your documents and your personal information in a safe place in your hands where you know where it is? Well, check out our preloaded EMP-proof thumb drive. 
Over three gigs of survival documents and how-tos, plus the USDA offline food preservation website, and much, much more, including a surprise bonus we just can't tell you about here. With plenty of room left over to store your most important documents. Imagine if a mega virus or a computer failure took out your bank, or all the banks for that matter. Are your banking records safe in your hands? So when they get things fixed and repaired, you can say, hey, look, this is what I had. You have it. I want it back. Is your personal data safe? Family records, addresses, phone numbers? Well, squeeze on over to freedomslips.com. Yes, that's www.freedomslips.com. Click the banner on the homepage for the EMP proof bullet drive to get the full scoop of everything that we offer. So, folks, keep your data safe for your peace of mind. Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us, we're already here. Looking for a nightcap to fill your listening needs? Come join us on Spaced Out Radio with me, Dave Scott, right here on Revolution Radio. Monday through Friday for three hours a night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, we will take you down the supernatural path. From ET contact to the paranormal and all of the spiritual, cryptid, and conspiracy stories in between, you can find us right here on Revolution Radio at spacedoutradio.com, on Twitter at spacedoutradio, and on Facebook at spacedoutradio show. Spaced Out Radio, it's a night of talk and interaction. Are you experienced? The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host... Well, aloha. Welcome back to Stargate to the Cosmos with your host, Janet Carolisson, and Dr. Sasha Alex Lisson. And we're trying to get one of our other co-hosts, Teresa J. Morris, on, and a mad painter, our producer, Thomas Becker, will attempt to pull her into the station because she has information about the Secret Space Program. But before we get back to our show, I'd like to remind everybody to please go over to the donation button on uh, what is it called? Revolution.radio. Revolution.radio website. And donate what you can. A dollar, five, fifteen, twenty, whatever you can donate is greatly appreciated. And we do thank you very much for your donation. Amad, where are we in the count? Are we way behind? Catching up? Uh, we, the we got uh, we got uh, five hundred and ninety-two dollars and we need twenty-seven, so that's a need of twenty-one oh eight. So Please give. Please, of it's, please. it's early, and I mean we're only a weekend, so. Oh, good, good, good. Doctor Lesson, are you there? She's joined us. Okay, hold on one moment, TJ. We'll introduce you. Um, Sasha, are you there? Just make sure everybody's back. I'm here. Yes, we're, um, here comes TJ. Wonderful. Good to have you back, TJ. Yeah. Hi, TJ. So. Um, hi, Doctor Lesson. How are you? Great. We're doing great. And uh, I want to introduce you to Dr. Michael Sala. And um, Dr. Sala, this is Teresa J. Morris, and she's our co-host. We've been working together since about 2012. 
and we've had uh, her describe a lot of times what her involvement was with the secret space program she and her husband were both involved and the first half of the show we're talking about the secret ballistic missile attack on hawaii so tj what do you know about the the monitoring system that can tell when there's something incoming okay what did you ask janet i don't uh, you're asking me about incoming what missiles right so the, the missile was launched you said you told me a couple weeks ago that they can see there's a system that can see anything that gets launched from anywhere instantly oh yeah like anything that. nuclear or well sure we have a uh control system above the planet uh you know, our our government and uh, I guess you could say the Nordic government. <laughs> How's that? Happy birthday, okay. Janet. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, um, uh, Michael, um, I, let's talk about the organization. We took a break and you were, we were talking about the Nordics. And uh, this is a new species that's working with uh, the United States. Is that correct? The that uh, the Nordics are most likely going to help the Air Force develop the kind of advanced technologies that uh, the other extraterrestrial groups had denied them. That the price for doing so was that the Air Force basically need to uh, do more of the kind of positive things um, in terms of disclosure, helping release some advanced technologies, and, uh, and and really kind of cut down on some of these darker activities that that had been happening around the planet. And so this is something that has, has, is very new. It only really began um, last year. And I, I, think, I think we are witnessing the results of that. And, and I know, for example, uh, I, I have a contact that uh, lives or lived near uh, the uh, MacDill Air Force Base, which was the home of Special Operations Command, and um, and he was being taken up into uh, the Nordic ships and also into the Air Force ships, and that he was talking about the, the Nordics and the Air Force people collaborating. And the thing is, he had photos. He had good quality photos, and I've put them up on my website. I think I have about a dozen articles about uh, about him and the photos and, and what they tell us. But the bottom line is that um, you know, beginning uh, early 2017, uh, the U.S. Air Force has begun cooperating very closely with a group of human-looking Nordics. Uh, these are extraterrestrials that uh, really kind of look like us. I don't think it's just one group. There are many different groups of Nordics that are part of, of an alliance or a council. You know, people have different names. Some call it the Andromeda Council. Some call it the Super Federation. Some call it the Galactic Confederation. Many different names. But, but essentially, you have an association of human-looking extraterrestrials uh, that are in competition with the reptilians and the greys and the insectoids. And that the Air Force made a strategic decision last year, early last year, to begin working with this human-looking group. And uh, I think that is going, that is, is leading to some pretty major changes. Interesting. Uh, TJ, can you describe the group that uh, 
you worked with that the military is it has sure. treaties with? Sure. We have various levels, but universally, it's more like universal life. It's just that during the time that Tompkins was alive, I lived during the time and worked for President Reagan, so did Tom, and he wanted to know more. But uh, our service in uniform was 80 to 93, Dr. Uh, I mean, um, is it Dr. Sala or Mr. Sala? Yeah, it's a doctor. doctor. Dr. Sala, uh, I'm sorry I've never talked to you before. I'm familiar with your work uh, and that you're in Hawaii, and I think that's wonderful. I don't know how much you know about reality, but this is my real world, and my real world is multi-leveled. And uh, <laughs> I work in a seven-layered reality that's as real to me as uh, my 3D-dimensional form. So I'm not sure how to speak to you because I don't know what level of... Uh, uh, you'd almost well, let's talk it. about your your involvement in the in the um, you and Tom and her husband Tom were both in the military. Uh, you were in uh, the Navy. Well, were you in the Navy primarily, I and then joined, you wore all the I uniforms? I was joint. I was joint. So joint. Navy. Yeah, I I went to San Diego first, where uh, Treasure Island, and I worked with them out of Great Lakes. But I went to boot camp in Orlando, Florida. It's no longer there. From Orlando, uh, I was a rehire from the before I was in before, and that was because of my psychic abilities and intuitive and my connection with uh, my family in White Sands, New Mexico. My uncle's working in NASA, my husband working at NASA. So I would be considered, in Tompkins' story, one of the Nordic women, but I was uh, brought in in 67. 1967. So I had uh, the original MG-12 package. I had like Tompkins package, things like that. That was because they were paperwork that was here on the planet before I physically got here in this life. But I have memories of all past lives. So it's pretty interesting <laughs> for me because it's like talking at a consciousness that knows itself prior to this reality. Right. So they incorporated so all that into my reality here. So let's just focus, because we're going to go back to Dr. Sullivan. I just wanted to catch him up with, so the, the, the five ships that were up in space around Mars, what type, what type of personnel, what type of people? Um, well, we run it just like we do. People. We, we run it. The uh, extraterrestrials. Yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> like joint, just like we do underground here with the you know Air Force, Army, Navy, the Army down here. But when Tom would do Army, I would do Navy. But we weren't joint sometimes. But up, up, right, up but there, it's five ships. Uh, the story that you like to know about is uh, we have yes. a fleet. They look like naval, like I was on the Nimitz. It looks like a carrier on the water, but we have them in space. And I've got, you know, hand-drawn, Tom's hand-drawn, and uh, I haven't drawn any from, because they wouldn't let it to uh, be known down here because it was all a conglomeration from back with Hitler and all that he did. So as far as I'm concerned, there's two uh, factions, and the Dracos and Reptilians are one, and uh, I don't know about the aviary other than all the men in the CIA that worked on it while I was here, Bob Moore and all of them. Then uh, we had the spheres, and those come from come and go in various colors. 
And uh, then uh, I worked with the people that were called above the galaxies, their universal level. So I work with what's called the Supreme Allied Command. And uh, they were in my group, when I was growing up on the planet, we were told to not do the Oshtar Command stuff. Remember Bob Gray's mom was training me and stuff like that. Phil Gray. Right. Whoever wrote the guy, men, for, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Oh, John, guy, John Gray, yeah. John Gray, yeah. 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 But I had well, a what human... About the, what's the... On your on ship, you told me for were they humanoid? That's what I was getting to. That one thing. Oh, and well, what colors yeah, were they? They look like you and me. Yeah, we have those that come and go. But Janet, all I ever knew were we were human. It just at various levels of understanding. That's why I decided to go in the navy, or go into the military after talking with J. Allen Hynek and uh, Ruth Ruth Montgomery. Is uh-huh. I realized right. a lot of people didn't know what I knew, and I was told to keep it quiet because my uncles worked in the government. My aunt worked when she brought in the Shah of Iran. A lot of the stuff they were destroying, and my family was all about government artifacts and keeping things from the past where people could know. But, you know, working on the planet, the government wasn't that big because we all thought people would panic if they knew what was going on, if you know what I mean. So the people I worked with, Tom and I worked, uh, he was uh, like uh, Tompkins. He worked Mm-hmm. Uh, Tompkins was a disseminator of information because he was born into it. He was chosen, mm-hmm. I was chosen, Tom was chosen. You're chosen by those above, and then they choose you to do your work down here. And at some point in the all essence of free will, we, we choose to do this down here, whether we come in conscious memory or not. So that's a whole long story. But everybody's going for it. But uh, the fact that we have them up there, a lot of people don't understand, and they're getting it all confused with uh, various people that are coming out and talking about it. And, and you have to know what level of consciousness these people have. It's almost like saying, well, what job did you do in space? And right now we're, we're doing, going right. through tribal civilization recognition on the planet. Everybody's coming out sort of like an awakening consciousness all over the planet and various people are wanting to talk now, which they didn't. And I guess you could say that a certain facet of the government was wanting to keep it quiet because it was controlled. But Tom and I knew that it had, uh, our people, the, the Supreme Allied Command, they didn't want these people and these researchers coming and going. And so that during the experiment of the world war two on this planet, they came and went and observed but I work with people that were, I would call them, even though we, we understand linear and uh, other ways of, of talking about time and space and gravity, is the fact that uh, up there, I, I met people that had been living for hundreds of thousands and so did Tom. And when they'd come down here, they'd pick their language and pick their uh, sleeve or their host or their, uh, I hate to say oh, it, So they would, they would basically come in. <laughs> an avatar is that that's what you're saying and the avatar was well, a yeah. human yeah well yeah so, but okay. they were still born they were still born the, through the uh holes you know the uh, human form they they still came through so two they, legs. They, still, they still came through the birth process okay let's go yes. back to dr sala so okay, go ahead just wanted to interject a little bit of how complicated this whole thing is <laughs> but um Okay, so we were talking about uh, Tompkins, and I met you in at um, in Mufon in, in uh, July, and uh, I was uh, my table was right across from Bill Tompkins, and I photographed. I have to send it to you. 
photographed you with uh, Bill and um, Bob Wood. So what happened to the book? Is that ready to happen or has that uh, um, project been dropped? Bill Tompkins. Yes. Weren't you working on a book with him? I'm working with, yes. There's actually a couple of, there's a couple of uh, books that were proposed. You know, one was a, a co-written book between Bob Wood, uh, Corey Good, Bill Tompkins, and myself. Uh, that one uh, is still, you know, still is in the kind of birthing process, uh, to put it, you know, kind of kindly. Uh, the other one is a kind of second edition of Bill Tompkins' um, autobiography, and I'm helping Bob Wood with the birthing of that and so uh, Bob has has been kind of working diligently in getting that ready with a few others uh, a couple of other editors and so uh, we're looking at maybe probably realistically at this stage probably the middle of the year that the second volume of Bill Tompkins selected by extraterrestrials will, will come out and and so that'll just kind of like come out with a bit more detail into uh, Bill's relationship with the Nordic extraterrestrials. Uh, uh, you know, I think TJ uh, really kind of like uh, was emphasising this lifelong connection people have with uh, different groups and, uh, and you're chosen uh, to play a specific role. Well, that's exactly what it was with Bill. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he was chosen. He's actually, and one of the things that I can say now because his, his past uh, from the scene is that uh, he said that um, his mother was a Nordic um, and Ooh. that um, and, and so that was why he was born uh, with this capacity to be able to uh, link in with the Nordics because you know there, there needs to be you know I, th I think uh, what TJ said about consciousness you've got to be right consciousness that's important but you also need to have the right genetics too that you know you you cannot be a, a good uh, conduit for nordic extraterrestrials your genetics are reptilian for example it's just not going to work even though your consciousness because because you can have very highly evolved uh, uh kind of reptilians who are very spiritual and in galactic consciousness and so forth but their genetics don't put them into that framework into that way so so you need to have the right genetics you need to have the right uh, consciousness. So Bill Tompkins had both. Uh, you know, he had the right genetics from his mother, and his consciousness uh, was right because you know Bill himself was a starseed. Uh, he was part of the the Nordic space fleets, and and he had come down here with a mission, and and that's what uh, he was doing. And uh, and and so it's really been great working with him closely uh, over the over the years that he came out. And, uh, and I continue to kind of work with uh, people that are trying to keep Bill's memory alive, um, you know, through this new book that's coming out. And, uh, yeah, but he, he really did emphasise the, the positive role of the Nordic extraterrestrials. And I think his testimony was probably very critical in the, uh, in the Air Force re-evaluating exactly what all this information about kind of like a, a Navy secret space program is all about. Because I think up until um, 2016, the Air Force thought that, you know, all of the people like Corey Good 
talking about space battle groups um, out there that, you know, that they were really uh, just hallucinating or they were being deceived. Uh, but when Bill Tompkins came out with his information, I think that really forced the Navy, to, uh, sorry, that really forced the Air Force uh, to, to look closely at this information and arrive at the conclusion that, you know, over the years, over the decades, that, that the reptilians and the greys had lied to the Air Force, that they had no intention of ever giving them advanced technologies that make them uh, uh, capable of deep space operations, that they denied them that. But that at the same time, the Navy was getting help from this group of Nordic extraterrestrials. And so I think the Air Force have basically now aligned themselves with the Navy, with the Nordic extraterrestrials. And, and I think that's part of the reason why um, you know, we're starting to see a lot of positive changes on the planet in terms of like, uh, you know, the dark, the, the cabal being arrested, uh, being taken to Guantanamo, the, the secret indictments, the, um, the, the ex presidential executive order confiscating the, the financial assets of anyone involved in human rights abuses or international corruption. These are very positive changes and I think we're going to see more and more of those. Hey, uh, uh, Dr. Sala, uh, oh, I was just going to say that I met Bill Tompkins out in California in a hangar. It was prearranged for me to meet him. I I've never told anybody that. You're the first. Well, tell us that story. How did you meet Bill Tompkins and what? Um, All right, but I think Dr. Lesson had a question or a, or a comment. Okay. Dr. Lesson? Okay. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, th thank you, uh, DJ. Yeah. Uh, Michael, it's it's. I've been talking to some other uh, people that make me think that uh, it's kind of uh, it's not a black and white thing with the grays. Like uh, Susie uh, Hansen, for example, uh, says that the, basically uh, the grays uh, have a an empathetic sense of other beings, and uh, and from their perspective, they're trying to teach us to empathize with one another and not be so. Hostile toward one another, and a hybridization program is to benefit humanity. And so, I'm not sure about this. It, it, it almost seems like good guys, bad guys. But uh, it, it's I, I feel there are peaceful, loving um, help in both directions. And you know, one of the reasons for withholding uh, information from something like the Air Force is that they might use it to kill people. Mm hmm. Uh, you're absolutely right that there are nuances here that, you know, we don't want to say all all kind of greys and all reptilians are kind of evil beings because they're not. You know, there are there are, there are good ones um, in there and I, I know that. Um, but always it's, you know, it's like I always, you know, use the analogy of Nazi Germany. Uh, it was only like 30% of the Germans that voted for Hitler to come into power. And then, of course, every German around the world is considered to be a supporter of Nazism, which is ridiculous. And I think this, it's the same thing with the Greys and the Reptilians, that um, you know, the leadership of these groups often do align themselves with some dark forces, but that you know, the, the majority or many of, of you know, the rank and file groups um you know maybe disagree or maybe they go renegade maybe they get over to the other side so and 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 it's the same same for the Nordics or the human looking extraterrestrials you know we know that 
just because you're blonde, blue-eyed doesn't mean you're angelic. I mean, uh, a lot of the Nazis were blonde, blue-eyed, and, and they they did terrible things. So, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, we need to be careful of the nuances, um, you know, and be wary of generalizing, um, you know, but I think it's kind of like we're, we're trying to understand a phenomenon where we're only given bits of the puzzle, and we use these generalizations to just try to understand, but... But certainly not all Palladians are positive angelic groups. Certainly not all reptilians or draconians are, are dark, um, malevolent uh, groups, uh, entities either. Oh, right. thanks, yeah. Michael. It's, it's, it's just a particularly uh, uh, that the hybrids that are here now among us uh, need to be uh, honored and, and, and welcomed, just like in, uh, in California, uh, we didn't want... Uh, uh, the children that grew up with our children to be sent back to uh, Mexico just because their parents were illegal uh, entries. It's the same uh, kind of thing. The people that are here, uh, whatever their uh, uh, genetics are here, and we got to get along. That's, that's what it looks like to me. <laughs> so, TJ, back to your how you met Bill Tompkinson and what capacity were you working with him? What was going on? Well, I, I was always told about different people because of the NASA days, because remember, I was coming and going out of NASA when they were walking on the moon, right? So my husband mm -hmm. worked directly for Chris Craft at the NASA level. And then inside, there was always the engineers, and we talked with different groups. And, you know, people had contracts like at uh, TRW, but we talked about Douglas. I always thought of McDonnell Douglas. And in Northrop, mm -hmm. North American, uh, what was the other one? There's four majors. But uh, Bill's story goes with Corsos because of my uh, living and knowing what I knew before I got here and then putting it together with, you know, having to be me, like the Taken story, you know, little Allie Clark story, right? Steven Spielberg, when I had an office over in Hollywood and California, and I was doing my reading right, so you, and doing so my psychic work. Yeah, so, so you, were, you, were ex, you remembered being extraterrestrial before you came into human form on deciphering right, that's, Is that correct? Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And when, when you're born and you can remember when I was little and then they started entertaining me and then I had one that educated me and then, you know, in a school here and then going to White Sands and seeing the ships. And then it was, it was unique because, you know, I had uh, before I uh, married a guy and he worked for NASA. My family was already involved with the government. My uncles worked in the Air Force. Uh, my aunt worked for the government. She was really beautiful, and they brought the Shavi Ron over. You know, and then I, I knew the Bushes and, and uh, Houston and, you know, all the multimillionaires. And, you know, I was part right. of I was on Agent so, Orange. So, and, mm -hmm. so, Go ahead. so what happened with Topkins? Let's, let's, let's he was get where we were. I was being indoctrinated into I was being indoctrinated into uh, my role uh, between Ames, NASA, the government, CIA, National Security Agency, keeping all this quiet to bringing it out, a soft disclosure. And uh -huh. uh, we didn't call it that back then, but you know, uh, back then uh, there was uh, Alfred Lambert Weber, and there was another Alfred. Anyway, there was one in Africa. But uh, I never talked to Michael Sala. I knew about his work, but I don't know who started because I've gotten into you know different people claiming the word extra politics. How did you? Tompkins did didn't know about any of that. He didn't know about any of that. He was on the inside. He was an inside man. I met him in a hangar 
hangar bay. It was prearranged uh-huh. by uh, one of the companies, either Douglas or Northrop. I don't remember the name on the outside of the hangar. But uh, it, he was the, one of the old guys, and the young guys that worked for a company uh, had me bring a load in. Tom and I bring a load. We were pulling into the U.S. Treasury from Denver and came out to California. But, so you uh, were driving your truck. That's what you, you, you yeah, were, I was your, driving. Your it. cover was, was driving a truck, yeah. To well, get, yeah, get in the, the, the facilities. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I didn't have my uniform on. I was taking a cleared, uh, we'll say, parts for uh, spacecraft. <laughs> we were delivering okay. stuff, okay, because <laughs> we used to go underground and stuff, right? But uh, we were delivering it. But for some reason, some of the guys that worked on this particular project wanted me to meet Billy. They, now, these guys called him Billy, so... Uh, I thought, you know, because my name was Samyase, like a, a sign of respect. It's like working in a in a, jo- uh, a, a karate studio, Samyase. Uh, but I thought they were talking about the other Billy over in, in Switzerland or Europe or somewhere. But they, uh, that's, that's what funny. I thought. And, yeah, I thought, oh, oh okay, yeah, God, is he's old. But uh, they were like, no, this is, you know, the sum. So uh, he was, this would have been 10 or 15 years ago. But we knew we were going to do what we're doing now, but we were on a time frame for the Nordics and the government as to when we could talk. But I came after him, so now's my time. I had to wait till you know, okay. Tom said he, he didn't want me talking. And then uh, I, I met with Bill, but he he's like one of the old guys, and that was going to be fine for him. So now I can – but I can fill in all the Navy parts and, you know, back to I, – I don't know the history like Tom does – but I do know what I know from uh, up above the planet and how, uh, right. you know, they came and how they only observed. But with Bill, I just knew he was one of the older guys. They introduced me. They really wanted me to meet him for some reason. We didn't spend more than 30 minutes together in the hangar. They rushed him off like he was some important guy. But they intentionally uh-huh. had me do my job and then have me stay in the hangar and uh Tom wasn't with me, so I had my own truck at that time. So they had me only. But Tom didn't know who I was, remember? He just thought I was uh, some person come out to get him. So you didn't didn't know why they had you meet. They just had you meet and you hung out for 30 minutes. They they said he was working on the same. He was one of the older guys working on the project. But see, somebody arranged it. It's like the German people that work with our government underground and work because they're all up on the the Nordic stuff or the uh, reverse engineering. And uh, Mm -hmm. Tompkins was one of the guys that knew about it because uh, his boss – uh, he was there when they had the guys come over, the Navy guys, 39, 39 to 42, uh, in the beginning for the during World War II. So uh, Tompkins had the original, right. original uh, like me and Tom were operatives. We worked for an intelligence agency. And uh, the, he was like me and Tom. See, Tom, me, and, and Bill didn't have a degree. We weren't uh, in, in the disinformation, misinformation uh, government academics, nor were we in the religious. We were uh, just curious souls, and so uh, we came in. I think to do this kind of work is we're we're we stay off of the line of too legal or too uh, political, too religious. What's the other one? And too medical. We we can we can take it all and be objective, which everybody should be. 
Okay. So that was that was one of the good reasons people like us got chosen. At least that's my take on it. I don't know what his take is, but okay. uh, we only introduced each other. We talked about the the uh, basically we had a real quick talk about the alien spacecraft kind of thing. Okay. At the Semyasi okay. level. Okay, back to Dr. Sala. Okay. Uh, I was just interested. Where did the thing occur? You, we can't hear you. You mentioned uh, uh, was that a hangar. Was that... What kind of uh, hangar was it? It's I was just asking TJ there. Where did you meet? Uh, I remember two places. One was in Dayton, Ohio, and one was in California. I drove all over the country, and I delivered all over the country. But to tell you the truth, I have a vision if I could take it out and show you the video, but I, I don't know how to do that uh, for you. But uh, I, don't, I don't remember if it was in California or Dayton, Ohio, because I delivered both. But he was brought in for one and uh, for a meeting. I think I, I want to say California, or it could have been Dayton, Ohio, but it wasn't Albuquerque. I don't think. I don't think it was. Uh, what part of California? What city? I California delivered all over from city. San Diego. I delivered Long Beach, San Diego, uh, all the uh, military base up, no uh, up north. Uh, all over California. I was all up and down California and then all over 80 and 40, you know, all the military, I pulled for the government, U.S. Treasury, Microsoft, uh, the contractors, you know, we haven't just because uh, we haven't stopped this narrative. We're just starting the narrative. It's just that the, most people don't know how it all works. You know, they don't know the different levels of government or how they can get off planet or the different alloys and all of that. And I don't even know how much he knew I, because he was sort of going out. He was an old guy that had worked. And then I came in like, well, I was in 67, but I didn't wear a uniform till 1893. But when I signed the new contract, Janet, in Fort Hood, they made me take the ASVAB again. Uh, so uh, when I pulled a truck, uh, I got the job out of Fort Hood. Remember, they moved me from Hawaii to uh, Texas. And that's when I got on Tom's case. So I met him between 85 and 93 because, no, wait, no, wait, excuse me, wrong. I met uh, Bill Tompkins, but they called him Billy in the uh, space, in the hangar. Uh, a friend, he had two friends that really powerful people and uh, they wanted me to meet him. They were, they were like big shots, uh, contract government, like uh, skunk work kind of people. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyway, they wanted me to meet him. But I think, okay, Janet, help me here. 95 till 2000, you and I, 93. I met him between 95 yeah. and 2002. And I couldn't okay. tell you what year, but 95, the seven-year period. And I should have got over to that UFO Congress like I was supposed to, but I was also supposed to meet Stan and Richard Dolan. I haven't met them either. So you remember because uh, okay. Dennis uh, wanted me to meet Tim in uh, Roswell, and I didn't. But Stan and I worked in 2006, Stan and Friedman. Right. And Richard right. Dolan came way later. Okay. Now, uh, okay. Robert Wood came into my life when I met you. On the line in 2011 is when Robert Wood came in to the story. Bob Wood. Okay. 
maybe Dr. Sala can tell us when uh, uh, Bill met Bob Wood. Uh, sure, yeah. they, uh, it was in 2009, and, and Bill Tompkins uh, moved from uh, Portland, Oregon, down to San Diego in the year 2000, and so maybe that, that, that's where he could have met with TJ at some warehouse, because I know he, when he moved down to San Diego, he continued to work with the Navy League. Uh, and also was a consultant for, for the Navy Secret Space Program for their uh, annual West meeting down there in San Diego. So he Yeah, he okay, I know Oregon. what you're talking about. Yeah, probably was San Diego. That's where the Qualcomm Stadium is. Okay, so you think maybe that's where you met him, at, at, the, uh, at the stadium for one of the Navy West meetings? Yes. Okay, that makes sense. I remember the Qualcomm Stadium because <laughs> I was using a Qualcomm in my truck. <laughs> so I don't know what that means. It just means that's a, Dr. Lesson would know better about that in the video in my head. <laughs> Relation. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I, I, this, uh, this whole thing fits together with Janet, Dr. Lesson, me, Allied Command Organization. And Dr. Lesson uh, has got uh first it was janet and dr lesson got approved to work with me but i didn't know how that was going to go for years and uh they knew they never knew really what all i was talking about because i never told them very much <laughs> because uh they were janet worked as a contractor but dr lesson worked for, at the university so uh, but he was highly highly intelligent and very open to the consciousness very open-minded so uh, I'm just delighted, Dr. Sala, that you're doing the kind of work you're doing. And I hope we can all be on the same team. My team uh, always worked with those above, uh, and we also worked out of White Sands, and we worked with the Nordics. So, and that's who uh, Bill, I guess I would have called him Mr. Tompkins. But when I met him, uh, I thought he said, call me Bill. Is that what, did you, you met him, didn't you? Yes, yes, he was. He went by Bill. That's how. That's how. What everyone called him, Bill. That's what I thought. So maybe this other guy. I don't know why he did that, or if he did it intentionally to mess with my mind. I don't know. But anyway, they got me there, and I met. I met him, but uh, I don't know uh, for what avail it was, other than right now for this conversation right now. That's the only reason I can imagine. Other than I can speak his language, 4F, you know, starboard, port. I know decks and ladders and Navy, and I know all the terminology. So I don't know that that would help anybody, but <laughs> go ahead, So, so Chidi, when you're talking about the Nordics, we were talking about before you came on that there are uh, different, uh, you know, uh, um, the tall whites that are out at the Millennial Hospital. What's this guy's name? Oh, <laughs> the guy that met the tall whites. That's a different type of humanoid than Charles the Nordics Hall. that are currently working. What's that? Charles, well, Charles Hall. Yeah, yes. So oh, he um, worked with a different type of Nordics than you did, apparently. 
there's all types of, it's just a word on the planet because we are trying to learn how to speak to each other. Uh, just like semyase. Some people say semjase and they think it's a woman. It's not, it's a sign of respect because we're, we go between planets or we go between ambassador here or another level. It's a sign, like I said, at a dojo, they'll call them, uh, oh, I forgot what sensei. they call them. Anyway, sensei. sensei. Yeah. So that is, you know, when, uh, you remember when I pr- promoted, uh, that guy for a conference in California that you wanted me to, anyway, he, he called me and asked me to write that book and edit it for him. And he called me some, I say. Okay. Okay. He, let's, he wound let's up, stay okay. on topic here. Let's stay on All topic. Right. We get too far. Okay. So go ahead, uh, Dr. Solid. We've got about uh, 15 minutes or 10 minutes. Go ahead. Let's uh, get back about to Nordics. So the yeah, Nordics, various Nordics. So the Nordics are working with, uh, explain to TJ who the Nordics are that are now working with uh, us and they're, they're positive and things are turning around. Let's go back to that. Right. Okay. Well, the, the information I've, I've gotten um, comes from a, a source uh, who has been working or been living near uh, Special Operations Command at uh, MacDill Air Force Base, and, and he was being picked up by the Nordics and also being picked up by Air Force Special Operations. And uh, they were basically tracking him in terms of uh, the contacts he was having with the Nordics and these, you know, he describes them as human looking. And he was describing the cooperation between the Nordics and the Air Force, how how they have been very close uh, over the last uh, you know, 12 months or so. And he's he's taken photos of, you know, some of the, the, the um, Air Force space program uh, triangle vehicles, some of their rectangular vehicles, and some of the kind of like cigar-shaped uh, Nordic vehicles all around uh, MacDill Air Force Base. Um, and and so, you know, what, what his information has done is corroborate, you know, what I've been told by Corey Good and what Bill Tompkins was saying, um, that there has been um, more and more cooperation at an official level between the Air Force and the Nordic extraterrestrials. And and there was also a document released last year. Um, It's a a Defence Intelligence Agency document. And it basically gives uh, another history of how the Air Force has been cooperating with these Nordic extraterrestrials. And that's the first time that the Air Force has ever leaked a document showing that they are aware of human-looking extraterrestrials and that they've been working with them. So I think all of this comes together uh, because with this ballistic attack on Hawaii, I think that that was probably a joint operation between Air Force Space Command or Air Force Special Operations and the extraterrestrial. Oh, I don't... I don't know anything about what they do like that. Yeah. Janet and I were talking because she was really concerned, but I told her not to be, but it turned out to be the next day. Uh, she found that it wasn't, it was false. But uh, I I do more off-planet and then organizing uh, 
all of it, I guess you'd say, we have, we're, we're in the process of doing Allied Command from 2018 to 2038. But, but so TJ, we do things- it, it wasn't a false flag. It was an actual, that we, we found out there was actually a missile launched and it was taken down. So that's what we talked about the first hour. So oh, I don't know much. about I don't know about any of that. That would be something okay. a little low key, probably just test because uh, we're not we're not doing any of that that level on on the planet as far as I know. I mean, it's all dog and pony shows like the Koreans and stuff. But but the Air Force, you got to realize, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, all those are just like black, white, brown, yellow. We all work together. All countries work together, and all military work together. Russians, Koreans, I don't care who it is. On the planet, we have uh, all the different Air Forces. We have all the different space commands. Everybody works together. The differentiation is politics, just to keep people fighting among themselves. Mm-hmm. That's but what Joey in, in reality, we don't do that. We don't do that. Why would we? We're all trying to achieve the same goal, get off the planet. <laughs> so why okay. would we, you know, why would we? Uh, so why do we have the division and the politics and the, and the fake wars? What's all I, I don't know. know. It's, uh, all I know is I was uh, told we were always observing because, you know, there's only the, the faction because everybody that I work with, you would call them benevolent. All those, including uh-huh. the Greys, remember? And I told you, Tom, and I say, well, they put them back. Remember, there's some that are rogue. They weren't supposed to get through our, our group. And the only ones that so we were concerned there's about. There's rogue Greys. You're saying yeah, there's rogue some, Well, research, period. We don't care if they're blue, yellow, pink, white. You know, there's gray, there's tall gray, there's short gray, there's Japanese-looking grays, three and a half feet, five feet. There's, it's like you just talking about people on the planet. We're all them and they're all us. The awakening is the fact that we never, people, we are they and they are us and it's, we've never left. There's nothing not going on now that hasn't always been going on other than sometimes there's planetary uh, shifts. Are we, you know, like I have memories of being when Mars was, uh, I mean, in my memory, I remember leaving Mars when, and that used to be uh, in, a, in the habitable zone. And then when a planet was destroyed, I remember all that, leaving the, leaving the planet, just getting off before uh, it got wiped out or hit. So those are in my right. memories. So uh, I think that's part of why so many of us think about Mars is because it was our original home. I don't know how we're going to – this is the planet that was moved into the habitable zone. And I don't know about the moon or anything I have uh, about that. But talking about all this is extremely complicated. And I admire uh, Mr. Tompkins for coming out because he's trying to say, here's my part. You know, I lived during this part in the L.A. and, you know, this is what I did. And he tries to tell people, but unless people understand what he's trying to tell them, they don't get it. I get everything he says because I know it's true. <laughs> I know what right, he's saying, and right. and I understand exactly what he's saying, and I understand about the packages and mm-hmm. and the native the navy operatives. I understand all of that because I lived it. Mm-hmm. You know, I just well, happened you know, to be twenty years later. I, I think it's um, imp- important to kind of like really point out that you know on on one level, you know, there is cooperation, as you say. Uh, between the different militaries, between the Russians, the Chinese, and the Americans, and so forth, that you know there, there is uh, a lot of high-level cooperation. 
uh, between them. Uh, but the thing is that you you have this group, you know, you know, whatever name you want to give them, you know, whether you call them the Cabal, the Illuminati, the Deep State, the Satanists, pedophiles, whatever you name you want to give them, that these are a group whose history goes back many thousands of years. Uh, they're, they're kind of troublemakers. Uh, they are always causing conflicts between major powers. That's how they uh, basically have been able to control the planet. You know, there's a book by William Brandley called The Gods of Eden, and I think pr probably yes. you've talked about it in the past. Now, he kind of nails it in that book. This has been something that's been going on for thousands of years, that every major conflict between major powers, um, that even though you have... Uh, people at that kind of senior level cooperating. There are always, there's always this dark force, a third force, manipulating things to try and cause conflict, to try and cause wars. And that, and that's what happened with this Hawaii attack. It was, it was third force operating through, through the, through the uh, cause war and China and Russia. That was can't understand him. Even though one yeah, the Chinese and the Russia, you again, Dr. but that doesn't mean that uh, that even though there is collaboration at that top military level or, or discussion and dialogue, still, if there's a false flag attack that happens, you know, like if if they had succeeded in 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 attacking Hawaii then the United States would have been compelled to attack North Korea. And then that would have set off a chain reaction which would have led to a regional or even a world war. And that's how this third force, how this kind of cabal operates. Oh, you're talking about, yeah, every planet has that, but that's greed. And that's, uh, the, now the government, Tom was in, uh, involved in some assassinations. They sanitize, they, get, they know who they are pretty much and they try to keep them under control on the planet, but uh, that's the ones, I guess you'd say, that meet uh, the powers that be. All the emperors know the emperors, and the kings know the kings, and all of that. They've got that level, and then they've got the kind that, after World War II, the French underground. Tom uh, went to Germany and worked in the underground there, and that and the Secret Service and uh, the CIA, and they worked, you know, by country. That would be called the European Theater. So he learned a lot about these because they sent him uh, over to China. And uh, th there's all kinds of stories of getting rid of people trying to get too powerful on the planet, if you know what I mean. They, they, so they do. They have to assassinate the troublemakers. Is that what you're saying? Basically, he worked for, for yeah. Reagan. Where did he get his orders to assassinate? How did, he was assassinating certain people. Okay, well, the CIA, was, that, the CIA, was that from Reagan or CIA? Uh, the CIA at one time thought they were in control of that, just like they, they had the National Security Council, Homeland Security, and all that. They broke it all down after 9-11. But prior, we were in it before 9-11. And back then, uh, the president still had a say-so. So, so uh, he, uh, Tom was supposed to uh, – we would be in uniforms like we were for the Army or Navy or whatever, where we got our training in the field, you know, but once you get your training, then you're accepted and they'll buy your contract, the Central Intelligence Agency. But on the higher levels, some of the CIA think they're in control and they find out 
people are forging signatures or they, they didn't have as much control as they thought. That's what we learned. And back in the day when we were in, it was people siding up. There were black hats and white hats inside the intelligence agencies. And Reagan knew that because after Eisenhower and then Reagan, some of the guys weren't telling Reagan everything either. You know, and uh, Bush, uh, Clinton, Clinton wasn't allowed to know. Uh, Reagan was somewhat, and that's why he sent Tom. But Tom, to answer your question, would get hip pocket orders. Uh, After he explained to Reagan that he called a couple, they tried to send him out to assassinate somebody, but they wouldn't give him the full dossier or they'd fly him in from the U.K. So uh, Reagan would. Uh, He would only do one if Reagan gave him the order direct. And those were kept in one of the drawers, a secret drawer in the uh, White House in the uh, desk they used. You know what I'm saying? He had a hard copy. And then he planted those all over. Yeah. And some of those were on the microfiche that were in the pyramid code. Remember? The pyramid code, he put it in his own language. Some of the some of the reality or some of the history Tom lived through. That's why those guys came to meet him because they didn't want all that going out there. But uh, anyway, that's a whole nother story too. But I get what you're saying, Dr. Sala. Yeah. You just got to look at life on the planet, just like it is out in space is the way I do it. Otherwise I'd go crazy. We have beings, but I still prefer to work with those that feel like we're benevolent, but yes, every place, every space, everywhere we've taken people, I just know that they've taken them together. I was trained to know that sometimes they took a whole group together if they had the room on the ships. If they didn't, sometimes, I mean, some of them understand the slave race. And, you know, I understand a lot more, but I just haven't been able to talk about it. Janet doesn't even know what all I know. And she's been working with me, gosh, since on, on uh, verbally since 2007. But she was coming right. into the uh, psychic level, like the... Uh, uh, psychic, learning her skills, table tapping, uh, working spiritually with Spiritual World Network and me when I was doing psychic fairs at the Hilton Hawaiian Village. And uh, she came to a gig there. But she was going to train to do more in the Stargate program. And uh, she, she went with Dr. Lesson. And Dr. Lesson was going to run our center. He and Charles Muir had already met. Charles and him we're helping people in the Tantra okay, learning. We're getting too far out there. Let's, let's, okay, let's, sorry. let's go back. We're running out of time. That's okay. okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah. Okay. So uh, we've got about uh, three more minutes. So Dr. Saul, we'd uh, like yeah. to wrap it up and wind it together here. Yeah. You can have go him ahead. back sometime, right? We can get together sure. before. All right. So yeah. Another, yeah. Some other sure. show. Okay. Go ahead. Well, I think uh, what we're going to see now is uh, just a a, a lot of very positive outcomes because uh, there is this kind of growing cooperation uh, between uh, the Air Force, white hats in the military, uh, white hats throughout all of the government institutions, increasing cooperation with the Nordic extraterrestrials and that the system is going to, is being cleaned up. And, you know, the, the latest, the latest, um, material sh- uh, that's coming out is, uh, you know, there are negotiations happening right now with the secret space program that the Germans have been running out of Antarctica and out of South America. That Rex Tillerson just went down to um, down to uh, the Barry Lockyer down there, and the, also the Jeff Bezos went down there, and I think that that's all 
part of this reaching an agreement. So I think we're going to see some very positive changes this year. Uh, and we're going to get a lot of information coming out. And it's just going to be a, a continuing process of more and more information coming out, more advanced technologies coming out. And I think, uh, you know, there's a lot to be optimistic about. And, you know, I just want to thank you again, Janet and uh, Sasha, for having me and TJ for, for coming along. And, um, and people want to learn more about my uh, material, they can just visit the website exopolitics.org. Exopolitics.org. That's good. What's your, what's your next book, uh, Dr. Soller, your next book's coming out. Okay, uh, we're uh, expecting uh, you to... Yes, go right. ahead. Yeah, the, the next book is going to come out uh, next month, uh, probably the middle of March. It's going to be titled Antarctica's Hidden History, Corporate Foundations of Secret Space Programs. So I'm going to talk about uh, you know, Antarctica's history and how the corporations were involved in that, the German corporations and then the American corporations and now and now the transnational corporations and how they've been collaborating and building, um, you know, multiple space programs um, in Antarctica and around the world. Excellent. And then the uh, Bill Tompkins um when is that uh, revised version of Selected by Extraterrestrials coming out? Right, that's the second edition of his autobiography, uh, right. and I think that's and that's going to come out probably uh, sometime in the middle of the year. I, I'm, I anticipate June, July, it should be ready. Um, but uh, yeah, it's you know, work is progressing, and that will come out. And what, Did he ever are you going to be presenting? Oh. I was more running out of time. Um, where where are you presenting? I'm going to be going to the Contact in the Desert um, at the end of, uh, at the, uh, what is it, in June, beginning of June. So I'll be right. there okay. for that. Uh -huh. uh, oh, okay. We'll see you there. Yeah, I'll see you there. Okay. So, um... Radio at freedomslips.com. We'll be right back after this message. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Any commercial advertising you may hear in this program is of the sole discretion and benefit of the host of whose program you are listening to. Revolution Radio does not endorse any commercial products, nor does it accept monetary compensation for on-air advertising of commercial products, nor will it ever. We are and shall remain 100% listener supported. Any product advertising on this program are considered used at higher risk, and Revolution Radio shall not be held liable for any claims or damages received from any product advertised within this program. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. Moscow's freeze. That's your cerebral cortex looking for an answer it doesn't have. See? Even your brain knows you're screwed. The blood is filling with adrenaline right now. Whether you know it or not, the heart's beating fast. It's getting a little harder to breathe. The neurobiological system is telling it to run. But your knees are too weak to move. Fear. 
not real. The only place that fear can exist is in our thoughts of the future. It is a product of our imagination, causing us to fear things that do not at present and may not ever exist. That is near insanity. Do not misunderstand me. Danger is very real, but fear is a choice. We are all telling ourselves a story. You're listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. 100% listener-supported radio. Reporting. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.